Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley. Uh, Producer Paul is out again this week, but we have a very special guest with us. Um, Some say Duck's Twitter legend. I think that's pretty much cemented by now. Um, (laughs) One of the biggest fans you'll see um, in any respect, even though we've never met you in person. What should we refer to you by? What do you what do you want to be called? You guys can just call me CJ. That works. All right, CJ. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, Skoda creator himself. CJ, headband CJ Stan is in the house. Um, so, first of all, got the win. It was ugly, about as ugly as it can get. Um, but we're 3-0, and there's yeah. value in that. Yeah, were you guys worried that at the end, did you think that we were going to lose? Like, were you ever really sweating? I was really sweating. I, pers- I personally wasn't sweating too much. I don't know. I had a feeling that we would just make a play and pull it out because we were kind of due for a play at some point, and it felt like it just kind of been uh, just coming at that point. So I wasn't too nervous towards the end, but I definitely did think that it was possible, especially with how we were defending the run. So Yeah. I yeah, felt completely I, fine until the doorless penalty, and then I was like shades of Tony Washington, like just not feeling good <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I still had like some residual faith in our defense that like we would put our foot down at the end and not let them just like go the length of the field and score. But it was it was intense for a second there, <sighs> especially even the last yeah. play, like oh. Just, I mean, again, it wasn't even like we played exceptionally well on the last drive. They just dropped the final pass. So, I'm glad it's over. Exhale. Yeah, big exhale. Yeah, Yeah, it it felt like it was going to be... I I thought that we could pull away more at the end. Like, I thought when we got the ball, I kind of had faith in our offense to put together a drive. Um, And I didn't think we were going to even punt it back to them. But then, like... We couldn't do anything. We couldn't run the ball all day. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. The line was I, getting pushed back two, three yards every play. Every single play. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy because I think, I mean, I felt like encouraged by the line, offensive line's performance the first two weeks, really. Um, I mean, there were some like up and downs, but I was, I felt like good that they could develop into similar or you know just a little below maybe our line from the past years but this was a bad game wake up call yeah well ucla coming into the game had the most sacks in the pac-12 so i knew that they had a solid pass rush and they could get pressure but i didn't think it would be this dominant of a performance against you know mario cristobal coached the line like i we've never seen anything like this before yeah i mean uh osa number 92 osa um had like i mean again we knew he was a baller but like he absolutely shredded um i think it was walk for the most part i wasn't keeping track the whole game but a couple times i noted it was walk at guard um and just getting in the backfield it seemed like every single play um ducks had 88 net rushing yards on uh what is it on 34 attempts that's not good <laughs> that's, that's actively that bad <laughs> 2.6 yards of carry, um, and only the one touchdown. Obviously, the fumble as well um, that I completely forgot about, actually, until the end of the game. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really see a good angle on the fumble. Like, it just kind of looked like it popped out into the arms of the UCLA defender, and he walked in 15 yards. Did, did you get a good look at what happened, CJ? Yeah, on the replay, it looked like he got tackled and it kind of like bumped his body to the side a little bit. And so like his arm kind of hit into his body and I think it um, hit a defender at the same time and it just kind of popped out. Again, I think it's one of those fluke plays. Like I've mentioned before, that was his second fumble in three years. So it's not something that we see very often, but um, you know, something just popping up straight into a guy's arms, you could tell that. It definitely wasn't our day. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that we didn't see Cristobal go back to C.J. Verdell that much, really. Um, like, we we leaned pretty heavily on Travis in the run game, and Travis has had a good year. I also think it's interesting, like like you said, it's important to mention, like, 
CJ Verdell's been really good with ball security mm-hmm. and in the, over the past like few years. I think people forget that because obviously like the Stanford fumble for casual fans especially is like ingrained in their memory mm-hmm. as like this horrible like inexcusable moment. But he's been really good since then and I was I was surprised that he we didn't just keep giving it to him, but I guess like we couldn't run the ball very well, so it yeah. makes sense and and Travis is probably a better back in pass protection. So in the in the second half, I could kind of understand it um, because Travis is a better pass catcher, and you know he's probably a little more versatile in the passing game. And obviously, we couldn't run the ball. But after his fumble in the second quarter, um, him getting benched for basically the rest of the half—that was something that I I definitely didn't see coming. And um, you know, again, it's it's such a rarity for him to fumble. So unless it was some confidence issues, I don't see why they should have you know kept him out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. We saw some other guys step up, though, on offense, um, which was nice. We got Camp Moyer back. He had five catches for 70 yards in the touchdown. Devin Williams, kind of a breakout game for him. Uh, 11 targets, six catches, 123 yards in that touchdown. And obviously the big play um, in the second half, the 50-yard catch. Um, yeah, that was huge. I think he might – I know he had that drop right after I – tweeted this but um i think he might be our like best or like highest ceiling of a receiver obviously Pittman's still out he's probably back next week though um but like just based on williams frame um i think he i wouldn't be mad if he was our number one target for the rest of the year to be honest no i i definitely agree i think he definitely has all the talent the physical attributes um and just the ability to be a, a star number one receiver. Um, but, you know, at his time at USC and obviously in the summer, um, you know, he's kind of having up and down games. It's just kind of waiting for that consistency. And, you know, obviously with Pittman and him getting his opportunity, he showed that, like, obviously there was the one drop, but he still showed that he can make a bunch of plays, um, not only in 50-50 balls, but he can make people missed, um, mm-hmm. which is something that we really need. We haven't had a receiver, like, like that in a long time yeah for sure that that was really encouraging definitely i mean a nice thing too was was just getting to force some turnovers on defense um but i'm i mean this segues into like probably my the most depressing moment of the game um was was noah sewell getting injured for me and he was he forced that one that mckinley picked up and I was, like, impressed with Sewell's effort defensively all day. It, it seemed like he was, like, the guy I could trust most for his motor to just keep going. Because I continue to be kind of, like, perplexed by what's going on with with Isaac Slade at times and Funa and their tackling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at least we could finally force some turnovers, and we definitely needed them. Yeah, yeah I felt that, um, you know, since we – hadn't forced turnovers in two games, you know, kind of a regression to the mean was going to happen at some point because the way uh, Valo's coaches defense, you know, he's very aggressive and, you know, getting at the ball, tackling with your head at the ball, you know, Mm -hmm. going after interceptions. And so, you know, kind of just the way we've been playing, we've been doing those same things these past few weeks, but the ball just hasn't gone our way. So, you know, obviously seeing some of those plays finally actually finished and, getting the ball on the ground and a couple interceptions as well was very encouraging to see. But at the same time, having a plus three turnover differential and only winning by three is, is concerning as well. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Especially like towards the end of the game. I mean, I'm looking at the drive chart right now. We got two straight three and outs, um, forced two straight punts. And then, well, actually we got the interception and then two three and outs. And then immediately after that, UCLA gets that 12-play, 90-yard drive, which was pretty demoralizing. Because at that point, it seemed like, okay, this is where we're finally going to suffocate this game and put it to bed. Um, and, you know, we kept winning the field position battle. But that that drive especially was very concerning for me. Even yeah. they, there's the, um, they made the fourth down stop after Sewell got hurt. And, you know, I thought that was going to – and they had a good drive afterwards, and I thought that was going to be kind of the momentum-changing thing. Like, they rally around it. But, mm-hmm. like you said, the fact that they 
went back down and scored a touchdown after that. It was kind of like, well, you know, that's clearly they there's some issues going on here. So yeah, I it yeah, it's like it's tough to I don't know how does how does this affect your guys's understanding or like perspective on Avalos as a defensive coordinator? Because last year Ducks fans were like. Hopefully this guy is around here for two more years before he gets like a power five head coaching job. And the defense has been like underwhelming through the first three weeks. I think yeah. you'd have to say. I mean, I think it curbs my enthusiasm a little bit, um, but I still definitely think he's the right guy for the job. And frankly, like I don't really care what he does after this job. I mean, we just saw Royo get hired as a head coach. So like, I don't, I mean, whatever the market does with Avalos when he's done at Oregon doesn't really have bearing for me um it's all about like what he can do right now and i still i still do think he's the guy um yeah obviously he's dealt with a lot this offseason as everybody has but i mean losing sewell who is i think it's pretty obvious he's been our best linebacker so far just all around um that that's a real tough pill to swallow this early in the season well, this early in the season but at all really yeah, I still have a lot of faith in him. I think uh, there's only so much a defensive coordinator can do when your defensive line's getting pushed back every play. Um, you know, obviously there are some calls that were questionable. And like you mentioned, um, with all the opt-outs and a bunch of young guys and people being in and out of the secondary with the contact tracing or, um, you know, the targetings that have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of hard to create that continuity in the defense and especially with such a young secondary, that's obviously going to cause issues. But, um, you know, I still overall have faith in him. I just think with the shortened offseason, everything that's been going on, it's going to take a little bit of time to get back up to the level that we saw last year. Yeah, and I think that's the right take too. I mean, I'm certainly nowhere near like we should fire Avalos or anything like that. I, I think that would be crazy. Um, and I also think it's important to like, keep in perspective a lot of teams a lot of good teams even have had defensive problems especially early in their seasons i mean bama had their problems against old miss florida had their problems early um i mean ohio state today like had problems against indiana mm-hmm. um so it's not like it's totally like abnormal but i mean like you said cj like the the thing for me is some of the guys just like haven't been doing what I expected them to, especially with that interior defensive line. Like I thought Jordan would have a like way bigger year so far. Mm-hmm. And I thought when Popo came back today that like maybe that would really like help the rotation and that we'd see a great performance from the D line. Cause I thought that would be a strength of this team, but it really like has not been so far. Yeah. Yeah. The first few games, they were able to at least generate some pressure. Um, you know, they didn't get to him too much, like actually finish some sacks early in the year. But like today, the complete lack of pressure that they were getting, you know, constantly being pushed back most plays and him sitting in the pocket for all this time and having forever to throw is it was definitely surprising, like you said, because we have such a deep, talented group of D linemen, but they've been very underwhelming so far. Yeah, and I mean, for me, really, it was like when we went up 14 nothing. I just thought there was no reason for us not to pull away in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. That should have just, like, w- with the talent we have, talent advantage we have over UCLA, it should have been, like, put the foot down, like, we got two breaks early, and, like, let's just not have this be a game. Mm-hmm. And, like, clearly we couldn't do that at all. Yeah, I think that also is part of like, you can give credit to UCLA because they didn't flinch. You know, they were resilient the whole game. They, four turnovers, you know, uh, uh, the two fumbles back to back, the one on the kickoff and the one that was returned um, by McKinley. That was a great play, but, and then the next play, they scored a touchdown, but to be able to have those things build up so early in the game and then fight back and um, get to a point where you have a chance to go down and win the game at the end. Um, I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, a lot of two-score dogs would definitely roll over in this game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. credit to Chip, I guess, the rest of the guys. Yeah, I mean, maybe 
uh, I was kind of talking with Charlie about this briefly before. Um, like maybe UCLA isn't as bad as people thought they were. And maybe Chip is like getting something together down there because they haven't had a horrible start to the year. I mean, they had, they lost to Colorado, but I think they had a, a pretty bad turnover disparity in that game. Uh, and it was close. And then they blew out Cal. Like they could be a good team. They could, they could go through uh, the rest of their schedule. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they beat USC at the end of the year based on how they look today. True. Or Arizona State, or like they could win their final three games. I was. I wonder if DTR even starts anymore over Chase Griffin. I mean, Griffin started nine for ten, um, passing. I think it ended up being better than that, ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I. Again, this is a backup quarterback. Like, yeah, this is the second backup quarterback we faced this year who might be better than the starter, um, and there's there's really no reason for that. Even though, like, yeah, he started off hot and he really cooled down, and I feel like we we really started to play better in the pass game later in the game. Like, still, on that final drive, I mean, they were cutting us up pretty bad. Um, Like, the run game was really what screwed us over the most. They had 267 rushing yards um, on, well, I mean, it worked for them, 51 attempts, but... I, the stopping the run is always like the first thing you talk about on defense. Um, and we could not stop the run the, like the entire second half. They just ran all over us. And there's just well, no Kelly's, reason for it. Well, what were you going to say, CJ? I was going to say Chip Kelly's teams have always been able to run the ball. Like, obviously, like you were saying that they're talent wise, there should be no reason why they, should be able to run over us like they did and get the push that they did. But Chip Kelly knows how to run the ball. Um, so I guess that kind of like, I'm not too devastated about how much or the running game um, was going for UCLA. But again, at the same time with the, the talent we have and the, the seniority and the, the straight up men that we have in the front seven, mm-hmm. you know, it was a little bit concerning. And I mean, the biggest thing about that run game, though, was that it allowed them to convert third downs. Um, Their average down and distance on third down was 6.1. For reference, ours was 10.4, which is just atrocious. Um, But they they converted eight of their 17 first downs. That's basically half of them. Um, And a, a lot of times, you know, we were seeing them with third and short. They even converted third and 18, for Christ's sake. Like... That. Yeah, that <laughs> third in Pelham, as they say. <laughs> yeah, and that's that was, that's yeah. with the turnover they had on third down as well. So, yeah, not. I don't know. I was I was not impressed at all with the defense, but I feel like the the offense played well enough for us to win the game. Um, but still, even on that last drive, I mean, I can't I can't stop thinking about just the pass falling off the receiver's hands <laughs> onto the third, <laughs> like. Uh, Mm. Bad, 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 bad. I thought Shuck played a really good game, though, considering the the running game was basically non-existent for us. He he pretty much shouldered most of the load of the offense, and you know, he was making good reads. He was decisive, accurate with his balls, and and he um, improved. You know, he, he improved throughout the game. That's what I love the most. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, he I didn't have as much of a. I can't handle the Shuck hate. Like people. Yeah. People who just think that if your team is losing, then you should bench the quarterback. Or if your team is struggling, then just like bench the quarterback. It's like he played a good game. It was I completely agree. It wasn't on him. Yeah. And I'm in, I'm encouraged by like what he can do. He was facing a ton of pressure. He didn't have like a good run game. And and he like did enough for us to get the win. Yeah, I mean he got rattled a couple times early, but um and I don't think he he I mean, he missed four throws in a row. He was kind of getting, like you said, he was getting pressured and he was making kind of hurried decisions. But, I mean, (laughs) he showed out in the second half. Like, completed his last four passes. Um, Camp Moyer became a huge target in the second half. That was a huge plus. Um, And then again, I can't stress enough how valuable of an asset Devin Williams is. I mean, we kind of saw this last year with Juwan Johnson. Um... But in that same vein, like he was sort of like 
I mean, the gener the prevailing thought about Juwan Johnson is that we just didn't have enough time with him to make as big of an impact as we wanted. Um, whether that was from his injury problems or early in the season or just not getting enough targets, but I really hope Williams can become our number one guy um, and be a big play threat down the field like he was today. I mean, he's only going to get better, too. You know, he's been, had, like I mentioned earlier, he's had an up-and-down camp, but you know he's continuing to flash more. Obviously, he had this breakout game now, and as he gets more um, continuity and, and confidence with Shuck, you know, in the passing game, it's it's just going to keep growing from here. Yeah. yeah, I think having him as a true, like, other option in the receiver game makes me feel good. And it's, I mean, if we, it's tough to, like, have this talk after a, after the game we just saw. But if we want to, like, go to a playoff potentially or, like, compete at that level, I think we need a, like, real star receiver mm-hmm. um, to win some of those matchups. Like, that's, that's what Indiana did today when they were playing Ohio State. Um they like threw balls and their receivers just like won uh, like 50-50 balls and that like kept them in the game. And so if we want to compete on that level, I think that the emergence of Devin Williams is going to be key. And I think it adds a nice dynamic because I feel good about our other three guys too in red and Johnny Johnson and Micah. So Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we see that in recruiting too, like the, the receivers we're recruiting, they're those same type of frames, you know, like Dante Thornton's six four, um, you know, Isaiah Brevers, he's six three, Troy Franklin, you know, he's a good six two. Um, so we're trying to get more of those guys because like you said, in order to compete, um, you know, with the Clemsons and the LSUs, you need people to win those fifty fifty jump balls. So Yeah. I mean, like, no disrespect to Johnny Johnson. I love some Johnny Johnson, but like I don't know if he's you know, I don't know how many times he's going to be able to get open against like a elite secondary. Um, right. Yeah, he's winning them against the Pac-12 teams and and has been really impressive. But yeah, it's it's going to be like a different beast when he's playing if we want to play at that level. Yeah, definitely. Which, which is like where Chris Paul obviously wants this program to go to. I was glad to see – I think we have to mention uh, the tight ends too. It was really good to see Camp Moyer back, as I already mentioned. But DJ Johnson was still starting, and I think that was a good sign. He didn't catch a pass today but um, or even get targeted. But I, I still think we – I mean, this game seemed really bad in a lot of ways, um, but there are still some promising things we can take out of it. And I think getting Camp Moyer back is one of those for sure. Because we, I mean, all of a sudden we have, you know, more than one tight end on the roster. And that's always nice. I would have liked to see McCormick out there. But, I mean, Cristobal is going to make the best decision when it comes to that. Um, So, you know, so-so, right? All around, I think. Um, I will say Devin Williams is probably my player of the game, though. From Yeah overall standpoint McKinley had a good game too again we can't really see what he does in coverage uh but he had a he had the takeaways so that was promising and then Happel led the team in tackles actually um yeah yeah I would say my um my player of the game on offense I think it's uh I'll go outside the box I'll go with uh, Travis Dye actually because he made some key plays for us in that second half I thought uh, he was really good in pass protection and then um, I mean he was the only one who I felt like could kind of squeeze out like you know like more than five yards from a carry mm-hmm. here or there um, and it was just shifty in that way and then defensively I'd go Happel just because like at Looking back on that interception before half, it was so huge. Mm-hmm. Like, if we don't get that pick six, I don't know if we win the game. I didn't think it would be that. Like, I thought it would just be a nice confidence booster, and then we'd pull away by, like, two scores in the second half. But it turned out to be, like, we absolutely needed it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, Happel's a good shout. Yeah, my player of the game was probably Shuck, just because... Um, the fact that there was, like I mentioned, no running game, 
And, you know, he was kind of relied upon to have to make plays and make good decisions and be accurate, make good reads and not make any mistakes. And he did all of that, you know, everything we needed him to do. So I felt he played a really good game and not many mistakes. And with all the pressure in his face, I thought he handled it really well. Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Can't disagree with that. Um, well, I mean, so let's let's look at this in the context of, like, uh, first of all, the conference. I still think it's safe to say the Ducks are the best team in the conference, after even after this performance. I think everybody will be expecting us to sort of have a bounce-back week um, next week against the Beavers. Um, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about uh, where we're at in the context of winning the Pac-12. What I am a little bit worried about is how we're perceived nationally because... Yes, we won, but anybody who watched this game knows that, like, we, I really hate saying should have lost this game, but we pretty much did everything we could to lose. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, in that sense, we weren't the best team on the field, is what yeah, I'll say. Exactly. Like, we, yeah. If it wasn't for the, the four turnovers, you know, we definitely would have lost this game. So um, UCLA definitely outplayed us, but, you know, a win's a win, but again, um, anyone that watched this game knows that we we definitely squeaked away with this, and it wasn't a very pretty win. Yeah, how do you guys feel about our ability to like go unbeaten through these final four games? Do you think that that's something like you expect from this team, or think we can do, or do you do you feel like this just like proves that we're gonna slip up once? I don't think it proves that we'll slip up. I th- I think it's it's still definitely, you know, a good chance because the Pac-12, it's not a very strong conference right now. Um, most of the teams, like UW's, obviously, they're rebuilding, and, you know, the South's not great. Um, so I I still expect us to, but after seeing this game, you know, I, I definitely don't have much confidence as I did before um, just because of our youth and, you know, with COVID and everything, you know, we could have some breakout or something and, you know, a couple guys get out or whatever and injuries and, you know, that could obviously lead to a slip up. So it's it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I, I definitely feel like this isn't a year where we'd be good in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like last year in that sense. We're like... I mean, I keep repeating this. Um, I've said this before on the show. I have the same vibe as last year where, like, we were one slip away uh, from, you know, obviously not being in playoff contention. I feel the same way this year. You know, if we lose, our, you know, playoff hopes are gone. Um, But I kind of want us to, honestly, because I, like, I don't trust this team, uh, to get into the playoff. I'd be much more content just like honestly winning the conference and like winning a big bowl game, winning a new year's six game. That kind of feels like the ceiling for this team. I feel like even if we do win out, the likelihood that we make the playoff is still pretty slim just with all the teams ahead of us and, you know, a performance like this and the lack of marquee games we're going to have in the next four, four ish games. Um, I just don't really see an opportunity for us to move up and pass all of these guys in front of us with only six or seven wins when, mm-hmm. you know, the Clemsons and the Notre Dames are going to have, you know, 10, 11 plus wins against good opponents. So, I mean, yeah, I think, go ahead. I think that's a good point. Uh, and like another thing is there was the announcement earlier this week that the Pac-12 would like allow non-conference games potentially and everyone was talking about, like, oh, Oregon should go play BYU and, like, prove that we're better than them if there's, like, an extra week added to the schedule and they push back the playoff committee uh, decision. But I'm, like, scared to do that now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think we could, I think we could win that game, but I, the, like, the PR, like, disaster it would be if, Oregon lost to BYU for this conference Yeah, is, like, way too scary. And if we keep, like, starting out games 
sloppy like we do, like BYU is not going to like allow that. BYU seems just like the team that plays like they don't have the best players in the country, but they're playing up to their potential like every week it feels like. Yeah, definitely. I I would say they were they're probably like a top they're probably the second best team in the Pac-12 right now if they were, you know, just thrown in here. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, having a a good quarterback and a veteran team like that, um, obviously, and you know, good coaching, um, you're you're gonna have a, a solid team, and you know, obviously, we've seen Zach Wilson. You know, he's on Heisman boards and everything. So, um, I definitely would would not be super confident in playing BYU this season. Um, maybe some good news is that uh, well, <laughs> could be some bad news. Who knows? We're in the national spotlight. Uh, next weekend for sure because we got the Friday night game against Oregon State in prime time. That's at 4 p.m. Um, on ESPN. So uh, both teams are kind of banged up. Um, I was keeping an eye on the Oregon State Cal game. There were a lot of injuries for Oregon State. Obviously, we had Sewell go down this week for us, um, and a little scared with Kayvon, but he's fine, so that's good. But I think that honestly, this is probably our most realistic chance to slip up. Even though we still have UW on the schedule, I think that I mean, Oregon. This is Oregon State Super Bowl. Like, they're they're gonna come at us with everything we have. Not, I mean, obviously Washington's probably gonna do the same thing later in the season. But I feel like we hopefully will have a more put together team uh, by then. Which again, this is all happening. Like the Pac- we're less than a month away from the Pac-12 title game, which is kind of weird to think about because it still feels like the season just started because it did. Um, but I, oh, I'm, I'm very nervous for this Oregon State game, to be honest. Well, and, and if we don't get a push in the run game, like defensively, I, I mean, and we can't tackle, like Jermar Jefferson will torch us. Exactly, yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, he's the best running back in the conference so far, I think. Um, and again, I feel like Sewell's our best guy to – be a run stopper and plug those holes from the inside um we've seen yeah. mathis struggle he had a couple missed tackles today um and i mean sewell has beaten him out for the starting spot by now um so now math is gonna have to step up mj cunningham is gonna get some more reps probably um jackson's an outside guy but i think he looked pretty good today um yeah i i, I think adrian jackson looked good definitely looked good today he had some big. I think he was the guy who had that big tackle, um, on the third down at the end of the game. The th- the third down before their fourth mm. down that they failed to convert. Yeah, Whereas, the open field. Yeah. Yeah, I will say we didn't miss a lot of um or as many open field tackles. Just it seemed like off the top of my head. Um, but our team tackling like between the tackles, they were just getting right around us. Yeah, Felton torched us. We we could not get him on the ground. Bro, the spin moves, man. I mean, that dude was just spinning off of us every single time. Um, he did that to um, uh, Mathis probably like three or four times in the game. Yeah. Yeah, we just couldn't. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know whether that's like a COVID lack of practice issue or just like a general team thing, but. Whatever's going on, it's it's got to get cleaned up. Like, it's one thing when it happens against UCLA. It's another when it happens against Jamar Jefferson or like UW even or whoever we play in the Pac-12 championship game if we even get there. Um, I think we'll still get there. We'll still get there, right? We're not going crazy. I I feel as a team, like the tackling is definitely a um, a certain. It's a COVID thing just because shorten off season less time to do you know live practices and be able to do live tackling so i'm sure i've seen pretty much every team around the country has been struggling with tackling this year um but i think some of our backers like mathis and others you know they they just aren't great tacklers to begin with mm-hmm. and so this is kind of just like a little bit of um icing on the cake i would say yeah I just saw um, 
Mosley tweeted out from Cristobal's press conference. He said, Cristobal doesn't get specific about Noah Sewell's injury, but expresses cautious optimism. It's not as bad as initially feared. Hmm. That okay. would, That's somewhat that, good news. Yeah, that could be good news. I mean, like, like Noah Sewell has just been so fun to watch for me. And even in times that our tackling was bad, I just like was always excited to see him make plays um, just like how explosive he is physically for his size. And then also just the effort that he played with made me so optimistic about his future. And so seeing him go down and, and potentially realizing that we wouldn't be able to see some of his development over this year was like a huge scare. So hopefully, hopefully we can get some good news on that front. Yeah, the thing is, like, even if it isn't a super serious one, you know, we only have four more weeks in the season or whatever, four or five more weeks mm-hmm. in, in the, the season left. So um, right. I guess from what I saw and how he was, it was treated on the field, I'd be surprised if he was back, you know, before, like, the Pac-12 championship. But you never know. It could be just kind of like a scare or something. Um, but definitely you don't want to risk any long-term health effects for – um, for a, a sh- short season like this. Definitely. Yeah, I I don't know. that At this point, we're talking about like maybe back for a bowl game. I mean, whenever a guy gets carted off, that's just like DEFCON whatever. I don't even remember what the numbers mean. I'm so scattered. <laughs> no, no. I, I just, like, I feel traumatized, to be honest with you. Like, this is the most demoralizing win I think I've ever, like, witnessed. I mean, we were all, again, we were ready to pull away in the first, second, and third quarters. And fourth quarter, honestly. And then we got shut out in the fourth quarter. Like, that, usually, so far this season, the fourth quarter, quarter is when we've been, like, really turning it on and just, like, putting the lights out for the other team. But... Yeah, we I just got more, I don't know, I just got more scared as the game went on instead of less. It felt like all the buzz around this program all week was that this was going to be the game. We put it together for four quarters and that we were going to win by like 30 points or something. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that was naive, but that was the buzz. And as soon as like the turnovers broke our way and like, McKinley had that sick play where he like poked it from the ground and then returned it to like the 20. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, like we're off to the races. This game is going to be like fun. Yeah. And then it was anything but for the next three hours. It was just such an odd game on so many fronts. Like the, the plays that happened, you know, the bounces that went certain ways, you know, the momentum shifts, like, I could never really get a grasp of how the game was going, you know, for the entire four quarters. Yeah. You know, one thing would happen, I'd be start to feel that one team's getting momentum and then turnover happens or UCLA gets a, you know, 90 yard touchdown drive after we go up by 10. And it's just like the whole game just felt so off to me. Here's a yeah, question. That- if, uh, if we have a full Autzen stadium for this game, uh, are we talking about a different score line? And if so, how much? I'd say definitely. Um, it definitely gives a boost to the defense. So I, I feel like there would have been some, a little bit of points, less points scored by UCLA, not too much, because obviously they can't help the, the D-line getting pushed back two yards every play. But yeah. in terms of like the third and 18 and some of those plays, I, I think the... Um, the fans in Austin definitely would have helped those out. So I, I think it would have been a, a little bit bigger margin, something like 10, 13-ish points, but you know, not too much more. Yeah, I mean, maybe the other thing is it was the UCLA, it was uh, Griffin's first start for UCLA too. Mm-hmm. So like there's an aspect where I think like early in that game, the Austin faithful could have kind of like smelled the blood in the water and really like gotten after him and just not allowed him to settle in and feel like comfortable. Um, Cause I think like it's a huge advantage on your first college start to just be able to like 
settle into this environment with no fans and like you know just shake off any mistake early and kind of bounce back into it and maybe that like figured into all of the crazy momentum shifts that happened it's like i think that the crowds can like turn a momentum shift into like a real piece of the game Mm -hmm. whereas like without any crowd it just feels like a scrimmage or something where you can kind of like just forget about the last play it doesn't hang around this stadium in the same way yeah i agree definitely i mean it's yeah they go ahead just kind of feels like a, a preseason game in the nfl like there's not much energy, you know, like the sidelines are really the only ones cheering, you know, you can hear most of the stuff on the field. Like um, it just kind of gets that same type of energy when watching it, even though there's high stakes in these compared to preseason, that's just kind of like the feeling I get from watching and hearing, you know, most of the stuff on the field and having no fans and all that. Yeah. And it kind of feels like a cop out to even ask that question of like, how much would the fans like change this game? But I mean, they do. Like, they unequivocally do. Um, nobody wants to come to play to Autzen for a reason. Like, it's not just because of Cristobal's record, which still stands as, like, the last home game he lost, and the only one he's lost was that Stanford game a couple years ago. Um, but, like, that, you're exactly right, Reed. Like, those, those big plays, the pick six, for example, I mean, I guess that was before halftime, but, like, the interception, you know, those type of plays just make everybody feel better and that only piles on when the crowd is there to reinforce it right so i i think it's really interesting to see how lack of crowds are affecting teams this year especially at home um because again you you're just supposed to be able to settle into a game and kind of take control at home like that and i feel like the crowd being there was a big part of it not happening um yeah, I'm just bummed because it would have been so sick to, like, come out in these special edition uniforms and, like, really put it on UCLA and have it be, like, this highlight tape that was, like, showing, for showing like, during the other games. And it was, like, it could have really been, like, a thing where Oregon, like, had this statement and was put on the national stage and, like, made the rest of our season even more high stakes. And instead... It just felt a little bit like, oh, there's still some things to really like develop in this program. Um, and I mean, the type of game you're describing there. to me is sounds exactly like the 2018 game with UCLA. Yeah, we've we'd already had a few losses by then, but we had the Jordan jerseys. You know, it was Chip's big return. It was this whole like thing. The crowd was more into it because of Chip's return. Um, and again, I feel like that could have uh, there's probably be a little extra bite um today from some fans because of that but uh, i think overall we definitely like need to figure a lot of things out on this team um we should not be letting ucla come in here and put 35 points on us even if seven of them were from that fumble um like that's just unacceptable yeah 100 percent. i mean with the recruiting differential, the talent, you know, the the people that we have, our coaches even, like we, even without fans and with all the injuries and stuff and COVID, like UCLA didn't have their starting quarterback, who's one of the best in Pac-12. And, you know, it was a three-point game and UCLA had a chance to win at the end. So, mm-hmm. you know, games like this, like you can point to youth, you can point to COVID or no fans, but we definitely should have um, – I wouldn't say blow them out of the water, but we definitely should have handled them pretty easily when kind of just looking at them on paper. And we were plus three in turnovers too. Like last week, you know, I was like, oh, we should maybe beat Washington State by more or it shouldn't have been that close late. But it was like, oh, well, we turned the ball over three times at the beginning and we responded. But this time it's like things were breaking our way more times than not. And still, it was a three-point game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also, like, something that was very uncharacteristic of this performance was, as we kind of mentioned a little bit, we lost the line of scrimmage battle, like, on both sides of the ball. We just straight up lost it. 
And that's not something – I mean, I know we have a new offensive line, but honestly, we had looked fine. Um, our line had, had looked very serviceable after the first two games. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. The defensive line is still, like, I think one of our biggest problems, if not our biggest, just overall. Maybe, maybe the safeties, but – and now linebackers. Like, our defense is really suffering. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to find, like, silver linings um, on our defense. Other than maybe, I like, Lenore has been locked down still. But, yeah. I think in the secondary, like, part of it has to do with you know, COVID and people being in and out with the suspensions for the targeting. And, you know, them already being a young unit that hasn't played much together. And having this constant rotation of safeties going in and out in, you know, a defense where the safeties do play an important role, um, I do think that's a factor. So it, it makes me feel a little better because I, I feel like it is going to improve um, as they continue to play more um, and get more continuity. But again, like you said, there's not a lot of positives to look at from the defense. How, how different do you guys think we look if we just have like Javon Holland at the nickel spot. Because, like, I kind of wonder if that would change a lot. I mean, because he was such a special force, and it feels like we kind of do just need like that one other guy to add some experience and playmaking ability and leadership to the secondary. I think it'd make a huge difference, honestly. Um, not only as like a, you know, just a pure impact player, but his leadership and how much he's played, like with all the young guys around him in the secondary, he'd be able to be the one calling the plays, making those checks, making sure everyone's in line in the right spots. He's also an elite tackler. Um, so I think there wouldn't have been as many of those missed tackles if he was there. Um, so I, I definitely think he would he would have made a huge difference because he's just simply a playmaker. Who who do you think would be more valuable right now to this team, Troy Dye or Javon Holland? Especially, I think for me it might be Dye, especially just considering the fact that we're so thin at linebacker now. Yeah, like if we had, if I mean, especially with Sewell potentially out, like Dye over Mathis is a pretty huge upgrade yeah yeah it's close for me i'd probably say holland just because um it's such a passing pass heavy league right now um in not only the pac-12 but college football and i think not only um would he have been able to help you know bring along the secondary like i said he's a good tackler he can do so many things in the back end um, he can play man coverage on the slot. He can play deep safety. Um, he can help really well in run support. Um, but like you said, the die over Mathis improvement is very big. So I I wouldn't hate either one of those. No, not at all. Yeah, I would definitely take either one. <laughs> yeah. Who do you, who do you, who's like the future in our secondary? You know, like obviously. I mean, there's a lot of hype around Mikhail Wright, and I think he's been good. Um, he, he's he been good. Like, yes, he's been good. But who's coming in who's, like, the next Javon Holland? Like, I, maybe it just can't be predicted because those players just kind of, like, pop up in our special. And no one really knew Holland would be everything that he was when he came in. But, like, even if you look at our future recruiting, like, second – those really special guys in the secondary, like we haven't really been getting. I mean, I know this is a corner, but Manning, um, I think, is yeah. the first name was the you know first name that came to mind when you asked this question. He didn't play today, um, and I saw him tweeting during the game. I didn't notice that he was out this week. Maybe I just missed that. Um, was that like a late scratch or something? Do we know why? He I was know there? he's been struggling with the hamstring. Um, that he hurt early in camp, so that may have been you know something where he had a little bit of a setback, and they figured just to keep him out to get him healthy. Um, I I don't exactly remember hearing an official report on it though. Yeah, yeah, I had heard I heard before the Wazoo game that like he probably was gonna play, 
and then it was, oh, it's a late scratch, and I heard this week that he's probably going to play, and then he was at home tweeting uh, during a home game, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, I, I, yeah, I mean, I hope he's special if, if we get to see him. I, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's like an athletic freak. Um, you know, we've mentioned before, like can do a back flip standing still as fast. Um, I, I hope that like we see him have some elite like ball skills because like we mentioned, um, you know, that's like a lot of how the game's moving in the college level in terms of like throwing those big jump balls um, to like elite big bodied receivers. Um, So hopefully he can stand up to that when we see him, but obviously we haven't yet. So it's tough to really evaluate. Well, physically he's very long and tall. Yeah. So he he definitely has the the physical makeup to be able to uh, contend with those, you know, type of 50, 50 balls Um, in terms of like, straight up ball skills and like, you know, being a ball hawk, I think obviously that's to be seen, but he definitely has, you know, the physical ability and the, the hype as a five star to be able to come in and uh, make those plays pretty quickly once he gets healthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the sky isn't falling with our secondary. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Oregon fans will overreact. Kind of a tough concept, I know, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, Should we. Uh, I'm well, looking. Do you have anything else to say on the game, or? Oh we yeah. Get into. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I was just going to go national and look at the rankings real quick. Yeah, we should probably get into that because we've been we've been rambling on about this game for a while. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to talk about, so. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Just yeah, not a, a lot of fun episode. stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Indiana looks like the only, uh, or sorry, Indiana and Wisconsin are the only top 10 teams that are dropping out. Theoretically, that should give us a boost into the top 10. Um, and then we still don't know how the playoff committee will evaluate rankings yet. We'll get those. Uh, we'll have the show actually right after those release on uh, Tuesday night. But, um, Again, we don't have anything to base this off of. I'm just going to assume that the playoff rankings pretty strongly correlate with what we've been seeing from the top 25. Um, Maybe the biggest question marks, I think, are teams like Cincinnati and BYU, obviously non-Power 5 teams that are kind of like in the, well, I mean, 7 and 8 right now. So it's kind of in the mix, whispers of playoff contention, but like we haven't really seen like them play anybody yeah. really good yet yeah and cincinnati like had their big game today against ucf um which is like one of the more more talented teams they'll play certainly one of the biggest like names they will play since ucf has obviously had some success over the past five years but uh, that that was a close game and they barely pulled it away at the end uh it wasn't quite like the statement that they would probably want to say like we're that much better than everyone else in the American. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got it done, so props to them for that. I mean, um, it's kind of similar to our game, too. You know, we, we definitely did not look good, and, you know, we probably weren't the better team, but, you know, they pulled it out at the end, so. Well, I think that's interesting, too. To. Like, do you, think, do you think UCF beats UCLA? Hmm. Because, like, we kind of Honestly. act like the sky is falling after our, like, three-point escape against UCLA. But it doesn't seem like people treat it the same way when, like, Cincinnati wins by three versus UCF. I haven't seen enough of UCF to definitively say, but I feel like with what we saw today from UCLA, like, it wasn't just us looking bad. They look good in a lot of aspects. Um, and yeah, they have to Yeah. I haven't seen enough of UCF either. I know they got a good quarterback, um, and, you know, they have a pretty solid team. Um, it also kind of depends on if DTR would be healthy. Um, assuming he's healthy, I think it would at least be a very competitive game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't definitively say who I think would win that game right off the bat. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about this season is like we don't know because we literally have no comparison between the Pac-12 and any other conference. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, all these teams could be, like, pretty bad. Or, like, UCLA could be, like, a top 40 team. I don't know. Well, I mean, just running through the rest of the rankings real quick, um, obviously the top four are going to stay the same. Uh, A&M had their game postponed this week, I think, again. Um, Florida obviously won. They'll still be they'll they'll probably I would imagine Florida's number five in the playoff rankings, um, and then as we said, Indiana lost but looked good against Ohio State. So, I mean, maybe that justifies them probably staying in the top fifteen. I don't know if you can still put them above us. Um, Miami yeah, got think... postponed this week. Georgia's playing right now. So, and Oklahoma State is getting crushed by Oklahoma right now, actually in the first half. So. I don't think we have to worry about them anymore. It's like 21-0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Yeah, I think Indiana could be ahead of us this week, but I feel like, I mean, if just like assuming we want to make the playoff, which I think people feel a little shaky about, but I think that if we go 7-0, we eventually will move ahead of Indiana. No, oh, definitely. I feel like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I believe that too. Uh, One thing I'm, I'm interested to see in the playoff rankings is how they kind of um, sort out the, the Clemson-Notre Dame situation with COVID. Um, I, I'm curious to see if they're going to rate it the same way um, as like the AP does in terms of um, you know giving Clemson the benefit of the doubt because Trevor Lawrence was out and all that stuff. But um, I'm curious to see how they kind of – I'm sure Notre Dame will be ahead, but I – I'm, I'm curious to see where they put Clemson in relative to other teams like, you know, Cincinnati or BYU or Florida or any, any of those. So that's something yeah. I'm looking at. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it's tough too. like, this is all a human element. You hope that they, you know, do their due diligence and watch all of the games that have been played. But it, you know, there's something of a missed opportunity for me going into the very first rankings to kind of have put this meh performance out there. Um, like, I worry that, you know, it will lead them to just, in the room when they're talking, put us a little lower, and then I worry that, like, they don't totally start with a clean slate every uh, week, you know? And yeah. that maybe that ranking, like, will affect our perception going forward. But then again, it's like, this isn't a playoff or bust year for Oregon. Um, like this isn't our roster that's like supposed to win our national championship at all. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like keep the program, keep elevating the program and like doing enough so that we can keep recruiting at the level we need to, which we're totally doing right now. Um, and just like try to put it together. Where do you yeah, I think this is the last year that we're going to kind of have you know, talent holes in certain areas with the way we're recruiting, um, with all the graduations and opt-outs because of COVID. I think this is kind of that year where um, we're going to have more holes than, you know, most years we would. But I think starting next year, once we get this huge influx of talent and assuming there's, you know, no more pandemic at that point, um, I'm sure that from then on with the way we're recruiting, we'll be able to just plug and play, you know, like other big programs that recruit like that. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Like next year, all those, I, I mean, it doesn't feel that long ago, but next year, like Kayvon is like a junior and that whole mm -hmm. class with Micah um, and Mikhail and like Mace, you know, that big, like number seven in the country class that was like all these young guys moving in. Mm -hmm. It's like all of a sudden they're upperclassmen for us next year. So I think, like you said, like, yeah, that, that, that will mean that we will have a lot less holes. And yeah, so, so I think that's true. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully like Chuck this year will have him like develop so that he's even more consistent with some of his accuracy um, come around and, and next year will be like, you know, Pac-12 favorites again, hopefully. 
looking well, assuming Moorhead stays, you know, I I think that he'll just continue to get better and improve. I mean, there's no reason to not believe that. Yeah, I think he would. I mean, despite the troubles we had, like running the ball today and whatnot, um, I don't really think you can pin any of that on Moorhead. I mean, we saw some play calls that were absolutely beautiful today. With the, I mean, the die touchdown being the most obvious example, um, with Shuck stepping up, throwing it into the wide open middle of the field. But um, I, I think that we got to keep him. I mean, this goes without saying. We got to keep him as long as we can. And Moorhead is a special guy. Like he, mm-hmm. he has a new starting quarterback and a piece together offense just rolling right now. No matter how you look at it. I hope he realizes too that. I mean, kind of just to zoom out, like sticking at a job like Oregon for a few years could be like a good career move for him. Because if you if you can get to like a really high level of success with the Oregon offense, especially with the guys that we're recruiting right now, then I think like he's kind of been through the thing where he took a lower level SEC job. Mm-hmm. at Mississippi State and it didn't work out. And like we see that consistently. If you take the wrong power five job, you can be uh you know, it can like hurt your career. Um, even if you like really have that goal of being a power five head coach. Like it's important that you find the right situation. So I mean hope I'm hopeful that him that Moorhead and Avalos too will stick around for a while. Um, and like realize that if they could com- like really accomplish things that are possible at Oregon, like if they win a national championship here, actually, like that's something that they'll be able to carry through them for like whatever job they go to. It's like I was a coordinator on a national championship team, and when they're recruiting people, it's like put the ring on the table. Um, you know that that like is worth it in the long run. I think some of their priorities too, as a coach, um, in terms of what they're hoping to get out of their coaching career is a little bit of an impact on that. Like you said, Moorhead has already kind of took head coaching jobs and, you know, had some success, but obviously got fired from Mississippi state. So he's kind of been there, done that. So he might be fine with sticking around and, you know, just only focusing on offense, um, at a school that's, trending upwards in the national scene. Um, I'm not, I feel like Avalos at some point will want to be a head coach as I mean, most coordinators kind of have that goal, um, that future goal, just to be a head coach at some point. Um, and since he's so young, I feel like he's probably more likely to leave sooner than Moorhead would be. Um, but again, it, a, a lot of it depends on, like you said, fit, um, not only in terms of program, but um, the coach as well, like whether they want to go, be a head coach and rebuild a program? Or do you just want to specialize with a defense at a really good school, um, get paid well, and just kind of do your thing there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have, like, this dream that Avalos could be, like, the Brent Venables to Cristobal's Dabo Sweeney, <laughs> like what they're doing at, at Clemson, you know, and, like, that he would want to just stick around and Cristobal would give him the full reins of the defense, and that would be, like, enough for him. Because not a lot of like big programs want to make defensive hires right now at head coach. It feels like offense is like a trendy thing, or it's like a program builder, kind of like a CEO figure, like uh, Cristobal or a Sw- Dabo Sweeney or a Coach O. Kirby Smart. LSU. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Kirby Smart's a defensive guy, I guess. Um, too, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I'm still. Like, we talk about culture so much on this show, and none of that is faded because of this. Um, I think, if anything, we'll see, like, next week will show us more about, like, how we respond to adversity. Um, Because, I mean, as much as we almost feel like we lost, um, the players certainly feel that kind of pressure, too. I mean, they know that they hold themselves to a higher standard than this, players and coaches. So, I'm, I'm really excited to see what we can do against the Beavers. Albeit nervous, excited. (laughs) Yeah, and it is still like week three. I mean, like sometimes we're playing, you know, San Jose State right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you can only say that for so long. But 
it's tough because I like really hoped that this would be the week where it was like, oh, we've had two weeks where we had bad situations with the turnover game and like we'll just put it all together and put a really good performance out and it didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, there's always next week, I guess. Yeah. And also like one final thought about this game is like this was just weird. Like in every way, this game was just weird. It's football. That happens sometimes. Like I'm not excusing any of the, the problems we had on offense or defense, but like this, this was just an odd game to watch. Like it never really feel like any either team had control of the game for more yeah. than like a couple minutes at a time. So yeah, yeah, it was it definitely was a very unique game flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got any final thoughts, CJ? No, I think we went over pretty much all of it. Talked about a lot, definitely. Yeah, we got pretty deep <laughs> into that game. I mean, I, ugh, I'm i kind of dreading the uh, upcoming rewatch of this game for a lot of reasons. But hopefully we can, we can regroup and find some more things to be positive about as we head into Rivalry Week. Because uh, I, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, I definitely do not feel like losing to the Beavers ever, but especially this year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll have more thoughts, uh, takeaways for y'all on the midweek show. We'll also have some rankings to react to then, um, so it should be fun. Thanks for coming on, uh, CJ. It was awesome to have you, awesome to talk some ducks. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Hopefully, we can do it under more uh, positive circumstances next time. But, yeah. hey, a win is a win, right? Exactly. We'll take it. All right, guys. Um, yeah, I ain't got anything else to say. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. <laughs> Go Ducks.